Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so you really want to make a podcast? Do, 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 do. Yeah, what if we just sang our um, music? Maybe we should get some real music, Samantha. The podcast came. Are you still recording? Three, two. Survival Jobs is a podcast spotlighting artists, their side hustles, and their passions. Hosted by Samantha Titsolo and Jason A. Coombs. Boom. Sweet. Okay. Love it. Hello, Jason. Yes. Hello, Samantha. Sycorax. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I liked that as my middle name. I don't think you've done that before. <laughs> Keep it. Keep yeah, it. That was funny, right? <laughs> it was funny. And happy that we're here together out of our hell, which we all <laughs> tell everybody. And we have to tell everybody about the hell we I know. Have. It's what crazy. is the date? April. Yep. The home. It's, four, it's 420. <laughs> it is 420 today, but this is coming out 422. So yeah. Happy and, um, 420 from the past people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but it's funny because we launched this podcast on 41. And no quick story. Uh, we were trying to because I, I had a residency that we talked about in the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I called it an internship, like an asshole. It an inter- <laughs> no, it's totally fine. But um, we were trying to record as many episodes as we could before I left for the residency, which was supposed to be April 10th. But plot twist. Jason caught COVID. <laughs> Major plot twist. <laughs> a year over a year after this whole thing started. And actually, when we were recording Rob's episode, I had COVID and I was coughing. I thought it was just allergies or a cold. And uh, I pulled pulled through and then I got my test results that night. Like an hour after we recorded it. I remember yeah. something like that. Yeah, I texted you because I was like, oh, shit. And then things just got worse from there. <laughs> and I was... Uh, yeah, down and out for two and a half weeks. And then yeah. Samantha had a similar story. Yeah, so crazy. The same day, I think, or maybe a couple was, of days before. Yeah. My dad uh, tested positive for COVID. And so also the same situation. Like, how did we make it through this year of this virus? Um, and, and then a true year later have it. And what the irony of it is like Jason and I together at the same time were experiencing COVID in very different ways. I luckily never tested positive, which I still think I just have had so many antibodies in me from when I (laughs) did have COVID last year that because there's no way, but like we worked so hard on this podcast, like Jason was saying for weeks 
trying to get all these episodes recorded before he left for his residency. And then we're both experiencing COVID in different ways on the, like the premiere date of the podcast. I know, I know. Jason's like <laughs> sick, tired, coughing, can't get out of bed. I'm stressed, not going to sleep at night, like listening to my mm-hmm. dad breathe through the door and we're, you yeah. know, pumping out these episodes. So it's just so crazy that it happened to the both of us right when the podcast came out. I don't know what mm-hmm. that means. I Maybe it'll mean something one day, <laughs> but right now it's like, whoo, we're out of that. Yeah. And then oh, I was down so for the count from the freaking vaccine. I oh, got yeah. the Johnson and Johnson the day before they plot <laughs> shot. I still am like last night woke up. I was like, oh, my God, I think I feel a clot because I'm only a weekend and we have 13 yeah. days. Um, and then I was <laughs> all week. So so I said, you, today, are, you so, are. I know I feel like today is the first day where we are really can lift our head out of COVID hell. April 20th, yeah. 20 plus days of bullshit. I know. Isn't that crazy? And I still have this freaking cough. Like I feel so much better. Like I'm still like tired. Like I feel that's just going to be a thing for the next, I don't know how long. I think you said your dad too. Oh, so um, tired. He sleeps all day, but he's yeah. eating. So we're good. Yeah. We're doing better now with it. I know. I lost like 10 pounds. I was so happy. I was like, this is yeah. like the best thing to come out of this. <laughs> You're like, at least something could happen from this shit storm. <laughs> I know. I was like, the, I was like, okay, that's like the best thing. Still wasn't worth it. Don't recommend. Zero stars. <laughs> Don't get it. <laughs> it's like we came out on April Fools, like the worst April Fools joke <laughs> ever. Like you have a positive COVID. <laughs> yeah, it was a disaster. While I was down for the count, actually, I I can't even say this. It wasn't until like after the because I I literally it it's awful. Like I know you've heard it all. We've been experiencing this for over a year, but like to happen to you like happened to me like firsthand it was the worst thing that ever happened to me as an adult I mean Samantha knows I was texting her um yeah but then there <laughs> were like, there were like two days where I didn't hear from you and I was like oh my god <laughs> is everything okay over there yeah um, I think that's when I went to the ER yeah <laughs> but I was gonna say after like after that main part was over because once I went to the ER and I got like medicine and like steroids that was like a lifesaver I was so happy but I watched the Tina Turner documentary, which I wanted to tell you about. It's uh, on HBO and HBO Max. And I feel like we all know who Tina Turner is, but like we don't know her real story. And it was yeah. so inspiring um, because like, I know to be out, like we probably all seen that movie that came out in the 90s about her and how good it is. But to see like firsthand experience of her talking about all this stuff that she's experienced and like what an unhappy life she had for like 40 years of her life, you know, was just like terrible because of her husband and like her parents and all this stuff. But to see the other side of that, right, as like a grown adult, mature woman to like get over that stuff and to have like this huge career that I think we're both probably too young to like realize how big she was. Yeah. I don't know. It was really inspiring. So I recommend everybody watch that if you have two hours and uh, you want to see a legend because she's a legend. Like she has a Broadway show that. She is such a legend. I know. I was supposed to see it before the. Shitstorm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the initial um, shitstorm. The initial shitstorm. And there's like different chapters of the shitstorm, you know. No. I feel like the chapters are still coming. <laughs> like I don't think yeah. the, the I don't think the book is done, unfortunately. But no, it's not. I hope that when Broadway comes back, I can see that out. And I hope what is her name? Adrian. Ooh. Who is Adrian Shelley? That is not 
who is in <laughs> Tina Turner, but why is Adrienne Shelley a name coming to me? I don't know. I don't know. Is that the, the waitress lady who wrote Waitress? She is wrote it? the movie version of Waitress. And then she got killed. Yeah, it's so sad, right? Oh my god. So sad. Let's let's see. I oh my god, you're right. It is. I yeah, watched this thing with her husband. Like I randomly was at this like women in film thing a couple years ago. So off topic. We don't have to put this But um her husband and her, her daughter was there. Like they did like this whole women in thing, like film thing. And like I seen the movie waitress. But I didn't know like her whole backstory and, and until like yeah it was just so sad like of she course they murdered, were like right I know she got murdered and she was so young and she had just like made this movie and it was like a breakthrough movie um, oh, yeah and then it's also so sad that like people success like major things happen once they're dead not always but like a lot of the time well even like Jonathan Larson right like Hello. right opening on the day he like died <laughs> like that's Hello. Awful. That story. And and I was speaking with my friend about this when the 25th anniversary of Rent just came out. We were like, you know, that was the first version of Rent, right? And there was no, and in previews and off-Broadway and stuff, then you edit and add a new song or remove a song. Like, what would Rent have been mm-hmm. if he was able to, oh my gosh, Roger needs a song here or this story needs a change. But I mean, it's, per- you know, it's perfect the way it is. We love Rent. Yeah. But it's just, just you think about it that way. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Aww. Anyway... I know we got so heavy. I kind of like know. That, Let's talk about our guest today, Samantha. I know, Paul. It's I'm super be excited. A one. Yeah. Because Paul's another person where I have this like really great connection to, like Rob. I've never met in person, right? It's so crazy that it's so funny. Because of this, these chapters of this past year that we were just talking about. The shit storm. That we've met so many people. And um, because of the technology and so thankful for it that you're able to connect with people. You have never connected with because Paul's in San Francisco and obviously like I'm on the East Coast. Um, but he's been a member of my um artist Kabila. Um, Which we've never talked about. And so you need to shout uh, <laughs> it out and, and too many things. <laughs> yeah, we'll shout we'll we'll talk about that next time in detail. <laughs> no, it's all good. Detail. Yeah, I met Paul through my one of my good friends, Shannon, Dr. Shannon Pittman, shout out. But uh, Paul was one of his friends and he, you know, he told me that he's an artist and a writer. So we connected through email and, and Paul's just such a fantastic person. I'm so happy I've gotten to know over the last year and I'm happy yeah. for you t- to meet him. I know. <laughs> but he is a San Francisco based queer performing artist, creative educator and writer. He has extensive training and experience in theater, choreography, dance and drag performance. His Theater education comes from his youth performance background and from his home state of New Hampshire, as well as various classes and stage productions at his alma mater, Boston University. Professionally, he has been cast in a variety of theatrical roles with companies such as Boston Stage Company and Theater Rhinoceros in San Francisco. He's currently a company actor with Left Coast Theater Company in San Francisco as well. And he just got cast in the Bay Area miniseries, Strings Attached, playing the supporting role of Adrian that's going into production soon. So congrats to him. Um, As a choreographer, he's a master at hip hop and uh, he's choreographed a bunch of different shows along the along the East Coast and the West Coast and with multiple different hip hop dance companies. Uh, in addition to all of that, um, like Jason mentioned, he is a drag queen and is frequent, frequently known by his stage name of Janae Arabesque. Uh, yes. He currently, as I know, she's so pretty. <laughs> he currently holds a residency at Oasis, San Francisco's premier drag 
cabaret and nightclub. Uh, it's the home to the traditional drag shows, variety shows, original and adapted comedies. In 2019, Janae starred as Lieutenant Uhara in the stage adaptation of Star Trek The Naked Time. Um, in addition to drag, choreography, and acting, Paul also <laughs> is a writer, uh, and he focuses his writing on identity, oppression, social politics, popular culture, and underrepresented voices in media. Paul earned his bachelor's degree at Boston University and his master's of education at the University of Southern California. He is dedicated to professionally merging his artistic disciplines... <laughs> Why did I just say dis disciplines <laughs> in order to provide his community an experience that is entertaining, culturally informed and socially just. Paul is obsessed with Beyonce, <laughs> which I, I didn't mention. Uh, Janae is fueled by Beyonce, Rihanna and Janet Jackson. Yes. Yes. And yeah, Paul's gone viral with his writing as well. We're going to have to put some of his Medium articles in our notes. Oh, yeah. Um, so check those out. Yeah, I want to check them out also. I don't even yeah. know about that, but maybe he'll tell us. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Should we bring him on? Yeah, let's go get him. Let's go get him. Let's live him in the Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Enter the meeting room. <laughs> Hi, Paul. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I love what this podcast is all about. It's a re really unique idea. Yay, we're so excited. This is episode number five. I had to just count because I, I never can keep track on where we are. But five. Oh, and five is my actual lucky number. Anyway, <laughs> hi, welcome to hi. Survival Jobs, a podcast. Paul, like, how, how are you doing? I know we we talk a lot, but we haven't talked in a minute. How yeah. are you doing in general? How are you surviving one year after this whole pandemic shit started. Oh, it's, yeah, it's been a crazy year. I can't believe it's been a little over a year. I have been recently reflecting on just like how this past year has been. And what's, I, I guess, ironic from my perspective is 2020 was actually a huge blessing for me. It gave me a slice of life that I hope to achieve in some sort of kind of consistency in the future, meaning um, prior to the pandemic, I had, I was, I did not have a place to live. <laughs> so I was couch surfing and job searching. I was uh, in a very dark place and I found my apartment right before the pandemic hit. If you think about it from going from not having a place to live to having a place to live in the middle of a pandemic, I was living in heaven. I was, I had a stability for 12 months and you know, it, it did suck. Like I, I lost a lot of my gigs right when I found my place. Uh, I wasn't performing in drag, all the clubs closed and things like that. Once the unemployment hit, I was just like, oh, I'm okay. I don't have to yeah. keep, keep running and surviving. Like 2020 was the first year in my life where I didn't have to live to survive. I just had to exist. I, I planned out my finances. I want to be all right. But it was 12 months of just existing and I got to like dig deep and answer a lot of questions that like I run away from and usually um with my busy life and yeah it was yeah. yeah 2020 was awesome despite the craziness in the world it's so nice to hear you know a semi-positive story about the year because I feel like everybody 
rightfully so, has so much negative energy surrounding the year. I have a vaccine in my brain. I don't know if anything I'm going to say makes sense today. I just want everyone to know. I don't even remember what I just said. Oh, no. You're fine. You're you're doing great. Thank you. (laughs) It's really cool to be able to like reprioritize what it means to be an artist, right? Right? Because you weren't beholden to having to probably work survival jobs, right? Because of the way the world changed. And you had, I'm sure, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but probably a lot more creative freedom. Yeah, creative freedom. And I I had, I, I was able to pinpoint that feeling of it's okay not to be productive. Like it's okay not to be producing art. Like I, I had to teach myself that in 2020 because like, although I'm praising how much um, 2020 was a blessing, I also felt a lot of guilt that I wasn't job searching, that I wasn't figuring things out, even though I was okay in the moment. I'm just like, this feeling sucks. Like who put, who put this in me? Like this desire or need to keep producing and to keep yeah. being productive. It, yeah. I feel that too. So hard. So just to jump right in, what was your best survival job that you've had and why? So my best survival job Um, And mind you, this aspect of survival jobs is pretty new to me because I was working full time in education for a good seven years before I made the switch into focusing in my artistry full time. And so um, my best survival job was uh, right before the pandemic and I lost it, got laid off. It was with um, Facebook. I was there. um, AR, VR, like artificial reality, virtual reality, reality specialist. And I was like their brand ambassador. So I was trained to work with their oculus headsets and i was supposed to like travel and go to all these cool events like coachella and south by southwest and just like give live demos of virtual reality and sometimes i would be on the campus to do demos for like the execs uh i was you know it's a performance it's acting i get to like put on a show and work with this cool piece of technology that like no one knows about. And then I got laid off. <laughs> so, oh my yeah, gosh. It was, it was, I had a whole plan for this too. I was like, going to go out on the road. I was going to bring my drag with me and like do pop-up drag performances while on the road. <gasps> like I had this oh whole God. vision. Like I, I pretty much thought I had my like, oh, this is the thing that I could do for like more than six months. Like I I could do this for a while. And I had to throw that vision away as soon as Corona started. I keep thinking about like life before this and how, like you were saying how different it was. And sometimes I feel like it's like a dream or something. Like I feel like, like this whole year has not been real just because it's been so vastly different than what we're used to. So Paul, reversal, what was your worst survival job? It's really anything retail specifically with food. So I was a server at this um, poke bowl um, restaurant. Uh, So I would like make poke bowls with like raw fish and vegetables, fruits, all that stuff. And the the, the people were cool. And I, I I don't know, I I tried to fool myself into thinking like I would, I could enjoy this and do this for a long time. But I think the thing that gets to me with that type of job, or like I did Instacart for a little while, being on my feet for hours, presenting myself in a very fake way like Mm -hmm. like I don't like if I'm feeling great cool like I will give you the best performance of your life but to constantly do that when I don't feel that great I have to always compartmentalize Uh, myself and deal with difficult people I sweat really easily so like when we're cooking and all the oil like 
the food vapors are getting to my pores and you end up smelling like the food. It's just horrible, horrible. And so, yeah, I I didn't last long in those jobs either. One of them, I got let go because I just like, you know, I can, will easily show my, my performance will easily decline if I don't have genuine interest in the job. And so like, fine, let me go. I don't care. I will like, I'm going to move on. (laughs) Thank you. Actually. It's the the biggest blessing. Jason and I used to work at a Tex-Mex restaurant and I don't know if you ever felt like this, Jason, but I would leave that place smelling like fajitas and like chips. And I hated it for hours. Like, and even after I washed my clothes, I still felt like they smelled like fajitas sick yeah it's the worst <laughs> also like when i worked at starbucks too i used to always smell like coffee after like you just smell like the place that you work in because you are there for hours on end and it's just like marinates in your clothes and in your hair it's awful <laughs> it's awful retail uh, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> all yeah, of us at the same time just went ugh. one more thing that's like really excruciating about retail jobs are the days where it's really slow and no one comes in Oh and you're just gosh. standing there and you have four more hours left in your shift. <laughs> and you can't even like diddle on your phone. Oh. So you had a bunch of survival jobs to support your art and your craft. I do know that you are a drag queen. So how and why did you start doing drag and performing? Well, I know that we introduced myself as Paul at the beginning of the podcast, but um, my drag name, her name is Jeanet Arabesque. Yes. Yes. Um, That is Jeanet, (laughs) all right? That's the pronunciation of the first name. Jeanet. Jeanet. Um, So I, drag is a very personal story for me because... How I got into drag was very gradual. I, when I first moved to San Francisco, I immediately became a part of the dance scene. I was teaching dance classes and then I got swept into backup dancing for a lot of drag queens and choreographing for them. Um, And at the time when I um, was in that dance world, I was scared of drag queens. Like I was scared of femininity and that whole, like it was a strange world to me, but I got acquainted with it very quickly through dancing. My first time in drag, uh, my dance crew was invited to perform at a a drag club. But the head of the club said, like, we only do drag performances here. So, like, one of you has to be in drag in order to warrant the dance group being there. And since I was choreographing for the dance group, we were doing a Janet Jackson medley. I dressed up as Janet Jackson. From there, that was like back in 2014, 2015, I was dabbling. It became, it slowly became like a spiritual journey for me because when I made the decision to leave my day job to pursue drag, it was also the time when I was struggling with a lot of mental health and substance abuse issues, which led to my whole world crumbling. And drag ended up becoming my only source of income, my only saving grace. Like I lost my apartment. I lost, I lost everything to substance abuse my identity as well. At the time when I made that decision, I, um, I had just finished a pride performance. It was my best performance to date. And I remember feeling so exhilarated. Like there was no other art form that made me feel the way that I feel when I finish a drag performance. And I knew, oh, this is it. I'm meant to be not just an, uh, a drag queen, but like an artist. I'm going to do this thing. And drag helped introduce me to a new community of people who didn't judge me because I felt like from my old professional life, I couldn't be my true self, but I could give 
all of myself to the drag community and they wouldn't judge me. They housed oh me. They, they allowed me to understand my masculinity and femininity in a new way. And yeah, I, I got into drag because it literally saved my life. Wow. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to find drag to literally save you. And I love, I mean, cause I know you personally, Paul. So I know like you're also like a fantastic writer and I know like you are working on a script and I know this is kind of like, do you want, do you feel comfortable talking about how you're able to translate these life experiences into your writing as a writer? Writing is a, a new thing to me, for me, um, from the perspective of uh, screenwriting and storytelling. I come from like academia, so I'm good at research writing, but storytelling is a different story. <laughs> yes, um, writing papers. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, I, during the pandemic, I started my journey with writing. Um, actually, before the pandemic, when I started therapy, um, I started journaling and two year, uh, a year and a half into journaling, I realized, oh, I have a lot to say. <laughs> um, yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. There's, this is more than just processing my thoughts. Like I, damn, I've been through some things. Like <laughs> I feel like an adult <laughs> now, you know, and I've had some time and distance away from um, those recent traumas in my life, so to speak. I hate that word trauma, but then mm. that's what they are. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been able to look at them and kind of smile and laugh a little bit. I'm finding the humor and then some of uh, the dark experiences. And so uh, I'm at the really beginning phases of trying to translate and pick and pull from different stories, but I'm trying to come up with something for a community of people that I think get stereotyped and misrepresented a lot. And those are people who are suffering from substance abuse and mental health issues, especially people of color, or like that's one audience I'm, I'm thinking about in my storytelling. I'm also thinking about friendship between men, gay or straight. Um, I think mm -hmm. that we have so many examples, female friendships, and it's like, okay, I'm a gay boy that loves femininity in women, but why, why do I have to run to women to feel like I can find relatability? Why can't I find stories about men, friendships to find relatability? I find that problematic. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's something that I've never even like clocked until one second ago. So I wrote this like short film last fall or summer, and I filmed it with my buddy, Liam. I just wanted a dialogue between two best friends, two men that have this intimacy, um, but leaves you with this lingering question, wait, are they together or are they not together? And the whole point is like, that shouldn't matter. Like, I, I want to show an, in an intimacy between men that is undefined and that it's okay to, you know, show that vulnerability and physical interaction that's not necessarily romantic. I, I love that. And I love that's like the kind of, the kind of like message that you want to put out there as an artist, you know, I think that's so important and uh, so necessary. And I give you so much props for that, Paul. Like I just, why I, I, I don't know. I feel like we've like never met in person, obviously, but we, we just like connected over like our, our similar trajectories. Um, yeah, so I, I, you know, this is the first time I'm ever meeting you or speaking with you. And it sounds so, it sounds like you know your voice so well. And I think that's so rare with artists to be so positive about what they want to say and the vision that they have for their work. So congratulations on <laughs> like knowing your voice. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, 
it's so uh, surreal to hear you say what I just, or for, to hear you define what I just said as having a voice, because one of my goals for 2020, I wrote it in my journal, was define your voice. And then towards the end of the year, I kind of scrapped it because I, I heard this piece of advice that said, if you have to, a voice does not need to be defined. If you are truly being who you are and you know what you want, you don't have to worry about writing it down. Like other people will interpret it for you. Like your voice is the unnamed thing. And so um, it's cool. So saying, thank you for saying that. Uh, you kind of like made my vision come 360. Yeah, no, it's what I genuinely felt. I think that comes from also like you seem to really know who you are. And it's probably been a journey to get to that place. And I'm sure you're probably still discovering new things, but you just seem like so confident in who you are. And it's such a, a thing I admire so much about you. Like, I feel like you know yourself so well, which probably goes to like why you're so successful writing articles on Medium too. <laughs> people really connect to that, that genuine thing about you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, going back to your writing question. Yeah. I've been experimenting on Medium and, you know, I just feel like, I have been silent for a while. And I think now that I'm real, what I'm realizing is sometimes you just have to, you know, we might call it in the artist world a break, uh, some, but sometimes you just have yeah. to live a, live a life and go through some shit and process <laughs> it in order to have a voice <laughs> right now. And um, in this point of my life, uh, what I'm doing is just now unpacking what I went through in the past five, six years. That's awesome. So do you have somebody that you consider to be your biggest inspiration with your art? Um, my default answer is usually Beyonce. <laughs> but <laughs> yes. that's what my drag persona is based on. But I actually have someone that's even more poignant for me that I don't say a lot. And that person is Donald Glover, aka Childish Gambino. He's honestly, even more mm. than Beyonce, one of my inspirations because... Like in the black community, I know he gets a lot of credit and praise, but just like from a world standpoint, like he is a true Renaissance man. Uh, he's a multi hyphenate, but not really. And I say not really because he has a legitimate portfolio and substantial career in all these houses. He's a stand up comedian, he's a writer, he's a producer, director, a fucking yeah. musician. He has this very impressive catalog and he's able to dip back and forth between these in a way that's not like a multi-hyphenate where, and I'm not trying to be dismissive of the whole multi-hyphenate hyphenate name, but like yeah. the outside world likes to look at multi-hyphenates as you, you just dabble in the other areas, in these areas. And I feel like Donna Glover kind of just, just represents that, fe that field in a, a, a really cool way. I uh, aspire to kind of have uh, substantial careers in all these houses that we both live in. And then the other thing, the, the reason why I say Don McGlover is that he is the only and the first Black man that represents mascul uh, that represents a different type of mas masculinity that I can relate to. Because he's weird. He's different. He, he is palpable to all audiences as well. And mm -hmm. I, I just see a lot of myself in him just in terms of how he expresses his masculinity um he gives yeah. me permission to like be my inner geek and my outer geek and <laughs> you get to be a blurred right a black nerd proudly <laughs> yeah a blurred <laughs> oh i love i love that and i didn't know that either about you that's really cool that you connect to him so well like so so deeply 
Yeah. Oh, did you hear how um, he, him and um, Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Bridget? Yeah, Bridget. And Donald Glover are doing a remake of Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And they are starring are they? as Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yes. That's going to be fierce. <laughs> Whoa! It's gonna be funny as fuck too. That's gonna be like (laughs) those two brains together. I know. No, we have to say we're not ready for that at all. (laughs) So, Paul, uh, you've done dance, you've done drag, you've done theater, you've started to do your own like projects, like film projects. What has been your like favorite or best like artistic experience so far? So, you know, I'm, I'm working at um, uh, Oasis, which is my uh, home club. I, I work at a lot of the clubs in San Francisco, but Oasis is where my drag persona was born. And that's where I perform a lot. Yeah. So it was, it was Madonna night. And I'm, um, I have my backup dancers and we were, I did a medley of Girl, Girls Gone Wild. Uh, I forgot the other song. I get, so I, you know, it was great. I was really proud of the performance. And then like two days later, I get someone in my DMs who was like, hey, like, I was at your show Saturday night and, you know, I'm from New York and I'm here in Berkeley doing this, like, you know, dance residency. And like, I kind of want you to be a part of the project. It was very vague. I was like, what is this? Who are you? So we talked on the (laughs) phone. I'll fast forward now. Um, Basically, it's it's Sam Pinkleton, who is a Broadway choreographer. Um, Wow got Tony nominated and he's worked with a bunch of other people. And yes. he was invited by, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Berkeley rep, uh, Berkeley rep. Um, they're very world renowned. They funded, a, they've funded a lot of artists who've gone on to like create, like, I think the, um, like a lot of uh, Broadway musicals and things like that. And so they have a, a, a residency um, in the summer where they fund a bunch of artists to create new work. And so he got this funding to do this residency and he invited me to be a collaborator on it. Um, he, he was trying to birth an idea for a new musical. So it was me yes. and four other people who were part of his core team. And for two weeks, we just got to dance and experiment. And he had all these prompts and um, I, it was a paid experience, which was cool. Wow. And I was getting paid. Yeah. As a choreographer myself, a hip hop choreographer, it was so cool. I've never been, I've never witnessed the beginning stages of what it's like to create a musical. And one of my, and one of my alternative dream universes, I like, I would love to be a, a Broadway choreographer. Yeah. Um, and to see what that looked like, it gave me ideas on how to do my own process for creating dance routines. So um, I have this new connect now. I met a bunch of new people. And this was like the experience that told me, oh, Paul, you're an artist. You're legit. Because <laughs> you, you got tapped by the shoulder of this uh, Broadway choreographer. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing experience. And I love what you said. You're like, and it was a paid experience. And I think for all artists, it's so interesting when we are in a space where we're doing what we love and we're paid for it. We're like, wait, this is the dream like you you know I always say like I'll be on tv for free like that's just what I want just give it to me I'll volunteer (laughs) like just kidding but like kind of maybe not (laughs) but like to be in a space where you're just genuinely happy and being able to create and do what you love and getting that paycheck honey is like oh 
Okay, we are in the big leagues. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, um, at that time, um, I was living in this uh, mindset that you're the people you surround yourself with and the environment that you create, because at the end of the day, we can't, we, we don't live in a vacuum. We can't do what we do by ourselves. And our environment is a reflection of kind of uh, who you are and where you want to go. And I, w- I was just like, I, I wanted to elevate and take the next step into my artistry. And it took that moment. I was like, oh, we're peers now. Like I, I'm starting to notice the, this new community that is starting to reflect back the hard work and intentions that I'm putting into what I want to do. And so it was, it was so cool. Such a good experience. That's awesome. So cool. And yeah, like Sam was saying, like to be paid for that is so rewarding. Like, cause I feel like artists, we are often taken advantage of, right? Because everybody thinks that like getting paid an exposure or like, you know, getting like thrown like $20 (laughs) is is like, okay. So like to have that value and that appreciation or to be appreciated for your, for your gift, for your talent is is huge. It's just funny. And funny is not the right word that all of us, both of us Mm -hmm. just said like, wow, you got paid to do your work. How incredible. Which it is, but at the same time, it's like, well, we all need to be do- getting. I know it's like a duh. Yeah. You should be paid. <laughs> but but exactly like we're sorry to keep talking, but exactly like we're saying, you know, we feel like it is an honor to be paid for the work when it just should be that be way. What it is, and, and I feel like we're about to see a big change happen. Sorry, go ahead. And it sucks that I don't know if you feel this way, but when I have conversations with especially other artists, actually even non-artists, about projects I'm working on. I feel this need to always add on the stipulation. Oh, and it's paid. Cause in my mind, I'm, I still am struggling. Not only am I trying to like legitimize my artistic career for myself. I feel like I always have to do that for other people. Cause this, I like, mm. this is not a hobby for me. This is my life, yes. my life thing. So I always have to add on, Oh, and it's paid. So they know like, I'm trying to just legitimize the experience. Hopefully there's a shift where we can all be respected a little bit more for our craft, regardless of the level you're at or, you know, yes. your credits, you still have a talent, a passion, an idea. It still should be valued no matter if your name is Samantha Tutsla or fucking Viola Davis. And I think our country, like there's so many flaws that we've noticed, right. In the way our country is run, but like we, like this country doesn't value artists the way like other countries do. I think in like Argentina, like how like the government gives artists like lots of money, not lots of money, but they pay for artists to like actually work. Like, I feel like here it's like, oh, you want to be an actor? Okay. So yeah, you're going to struggle. Or like like we were saying earlier, it's like, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be paid when no, like everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Right. Mm -hmm. Or we are adding value to the world. Look how much people turn to the arts during this pandemic, you know, like how much that was a saving grace for. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. I really love that. We just got we just got pretty deep and I loved where we just took this whole interview too. <laughs> wow. But just to jump back in, Paul, we've talked about you writing, dancing, doing drag. How do you juggle being multi-hyphenate as we, and we also just talked about being multi-hyphenate and what that means to you. So how, how do you juggle, deal, think about it? So I'm a very like, I'm a very uh, system, my uh, system oriented person, I think of things in categories and 
I compartmentalize just how I organize information. And that's yeah. also how I view my identities and my, my careers. And it's helpful to view my multi-hyphenate identity this way, because I think of everything that I do. So acting, dancing, and chore- choreography, drag, writing, you can throw in um, education, I guess, in there too. Directing, um, you say directing? Uh, no, I, I've never directed before. I've choreographed, but I've never directed. Your so. short film that you made. I, I don't really <laughs> count that as I as like I wrote it and me and my friend, because we were the only people on the, on the set, <laughs> co-directed it together because we needed yeah. to. But thank you, though, for the, the hat. But these are categories that I get, I, I've gotten money for. Like, you know, they're actual houses. And I kind of view my multi-hyphenate as like a a shuffleboard. I'm never doing all these things all at once. It all depends on what's going on and what I get have slated for, for that given calendar year. And Mm. it's also like uh, what I'm feeling that year. Some years it's like dance choreography. And like, I'm all of a sudden I got hired to teach at a dance studio and I'm teaching three classes a week. And like, you know, I'm choreographed, like sometimes Mm -hmm. that's the emphasis. And then like maybe drag is a little less and it's pulling back. And then some years like this year, I'm focusing on film and TV and acting. Like um, I did a lot of work at the end of last year to kind of pronounce that more. And I just wrapped up filming a short film two weeks ago, starting in mid-May. I'll be doing a web series for two months. In the middle of the summer, um, I'll I'll pick up drag again and do some drag brunches when things open up. And like, you know, it's, it's like a shuffleboard. Some things are a little bit further and then I'll step back on some other things. Um, and then the things that I uh, step back on, I might feel like, oh, I miss, I miss writing. Let me like mm. come back to it. <laughs> you know, it's very akin to uh, like my gender expression. Some days I'm feeling really femme and some days I'm feeling really masked and some days I'm in between. It's the same thing with my multi-hyphenate. It doesn't matter what somebody perceives you as. It's what you feel that day. And that's what the fuck you're going to do. And boom, bye. That's it. Love that. Yes. Boom. <laughs> bye. That's it. Thank you. That's no it. questions asked. But I feel like that's like the the kind of like the goal for a lot of artists, right? Is to be able to wake up every day and to do something that feeds your soul. That's like the dream of like being able to have that freedom to to be an artist, whatever being an artist means to you. And like I love that you're like living that purpose right now. It's so I don't know. It's so inspiring. Like, ah, oh, just like I want to move to San Francisco and be your roommate and like <laughs> create with you. We have another room open. <laughs> Boom! Bye. <laughs> Boom! Bye. <laughs> Let's talk about dream collaborations or dream projects that you have uh, in mind. I don't know if you can see my whiteboard behind me, but I love it. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it is kind of um uh, is feeding into this question, but. My, I don't know who is going to be part of my dream collaboration, but when I Mm. think of it, you know, I just really desire, you know, I'll use the metaphor of like a drag house, you know, there are houses in um, drag communities, you know, the house of Aja and the house of, you know, blah, blah, blah. Someone that I really admire took that brand, um, Lady Gaga, she took the, the brand and the idea of a drag house to create her production company where the business structure is slightly different than a traditional company in the sense that she has an in-house hair, makeup, choreography, whatever, that um, are not contractors. They are people that work solely for her uh, to create kind of like a team of people 
who one, this team of people have a sense of security. They don't feel like they have to have all these other jobs to do what they love. And for her to have, to create a vision and for that vision to be consistent because they are people that just work with her. That's a dream for me because I'm looking for like my posse. I'm looking for, like, I know what I'm strong at and I know what I I'm not strong at and I don't want to Mm. ever do. And I want to find that, like, for example, that lighting designer who just wants to be a lighting designer. They don't want to be anything else. And they're just kind of looking for that, like that security and that comfort. Like I I want to create, create a house, AKA production company and entertainment company that where I can just perform and do my thing, but I'm with people who love the thing that they're specializing in. We can just relax and just lean on each other's strengths, you know, because I'm tired of being everything. Like I'm yes. like, I, I'm the multi hyphenate <laughs> because I have to in this capitalistic society. I, I just want to breathe and relax and just rely on my people. So um, that's my dream collaboration. I love that. So I, I love that so much. Uh, where do you see yourself artistically in five years? So I will be 37 mm-hmm. at that point, And I think it's reasonable. I think I see a through line that I hope to rely solely on my artist income. Um, that was yeah. a goal I set at the beginning of my 30s. And I think in a decade, I hope to, <laughs> yeah, not have this concept of a day job. In five years, I hope to be a full-time artist. Loved that answer. My favorite answer so far of the season. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm a really ambitious person. And um, one of my reckonings in my artistic career was being okay. Like, mind you, I'm, I still want to work with Issa Rae and be on HBO and all this like big stuff. But also like, I realized, well, um, like one of the big factors is like, I don't want to live in LA. Like I'm so inspired by San Francisco. Um, I'm not inspired Mm -hmm. by LA. And even though that's where all the work is and also New York, it's like, I don't want to give that up. And then that led me to realize, but what if like, Paul, it's okay to just be like, successful in your region like why like what about being a regional artist like the bay area has like so much good stuff going on like and if i keep going on this track like i could reach my goal like i don't have to wait for the big shiny toy or object in Mm. la or new york for it to happen like there's enough here if i just like really look for it for sure but just to tie this back into survival jobs so we talked a lot about survival jobs and your art And this is my favorite question because I think it's really hard. So if you had to work (laughs) your least favorite survival job for the rest of your life to have your dream artistic job or your dream artistic life for three years and then return to that shitty survival job until you are retired, would you do it? No. The reason why is that I'm in the middle of changing a mindset, another mindset. Um, There's a lot of shedding of the old that I'm doing right now. And I um, realized that a life well lived is one that is spread out in like bits and pieces. And I used to be this Mm -hmm. all or none person. I'm all in or not. Unfortunately, that's how my emotions work. And I hate it. It's very inconsistent and irregular. (laughs) And um, I am trying to teach myself of just like being present and just getting those things that we dream of and we we think that we have to get it in this contained set of time um i realized when i look back if i pick and like pick all my best artistic experiences so far and put them together 
I'm like, oh, wow, that's an amazing life. Like, let me keep picking up bits and pieces along the way rather than trying to find this one experience confined in time only to For dip sure. back into misery again, you know? It's all about mm. the journey. Mm-hmm. It's about the journey, people, not the destination. Okay, we have one last question before our little game. I just wanted you to share some advice for maybe someone who's an artist and is struggling or maybe someone who's similar to you, right? You who had like a whole different career and decided like, this is not what I want to do. This is not what makes me happy and kind of like is pursuing that artistic life. You know, there's a lot of guilt and struggle with figuring out how to deal with this artist's life. And once I was able to like step away from this whole corporate kind of formal job structure and realize, ooh, that's the matrix. I was living in the matrix this entire time. Now I'm moving up. And although there are a lot of challenges with the artist's life, how I think about it is think of your artist's life uh, like a designer, uh, like design thinking, which is you now get to play the real fun game of coming up with all these great prototypes of what your life could be because there's mm-hmm. literally no manual or structure for the artist's life. No two artist's life look the same because every single human is different. Your needs are different. Your priorities are different. Your vision, all those things. You can get ideas from other people, but at the end of the day, yeah. the way you structure your artist's life is unique to you and you get to play with it. You get trial and error. It's like playing Sims. You get to be... Mm. The, of your own life so have fun with it and once one structure kind of tires itself out you get to try another one you don't have to find the one life that's going to be consistent till you retire you get to ebb and flow and so for some people that might be like daunting and like oh a dread because maybe those people are craving consistency artists and consistency don't go hand in hand like if, <laughs> they really if don't. you're signing yeah. up for the artistic no. life you have to deal with inconsistency <laughs> correct um so that's my piece of advice I love the ebb and flow. Gosh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> ebb and flow. You're such a writer, Paul. I love it. <laughs> Honestly. All right, That's let's awesome. jump into this fun game. You know we like to play a game since you are seemingly to be our number one fan so far. Thank you. Um, so your game is a word association game. We're going to rotate saying a word to you, and then you tell us the first doesn't have to be a word right jason this is the first thing that comes to your mind yeah it could be a phrase it could be yeah. a story okay this reminds me of like inkblot tests from back no in the pressure day. are you gonna diagnose <laughs> me what what's inkblot i don't know ink- about an inkblot test oh uh, inkblot test oh wad <laughs> i still don't know an inkblot you know like on therapy like on tv they have like the pictures of like black random like, uh big art prints yeah and they're like, what do you see? Yeah. It was a method used in the <laughs> 60s, 70s, oh, like old psychology. Damn. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's jump right. into it. All right. First one is delivery. DoorDash. Second one is dance. Hall. Drag. Shangela. <laughs> <laughs> Sushi. <laughs> Hospitality. <laughs> Marriott. <laughs> um, the theater. Darling. Oprah. I love her. <laughs> Activ- activism. Pride. Star Trek. 
Lieutenant Uhura. Boom. Yes. Because you I... played Lieutenant Uhura, right? I did, yeah. <laughs> Wait, can I ask one more question? No. <laughs> you have this quote on your website. I want to just... Definitely. No, so I, lo- I saw this because, you know, it was on your website, of course, trying to do our research on you. And underneath your bio, you had this amazing quote. And I just wanted to just get wow. your perspective on why you why you wanted to, why you have it on there. So it says, a Black hero is any person who honestly reflects the beauty of Black life and genius in his or her style, does not forget his Black brothers and sisters who are less fortunate, and does what he does in such an outstanding manner that he or she cannot be imitated or replaced. And that's from the Organization of Black American Culture, 1967. So why did you, why, why does that resonate with you so much? And why do you include it on your website? So I um, first came across this, this quote. Um, I went to an exhibit. It was Black History Month and it was in 2019. Um, I was visiting an exhibit at, oh, the De Young Museum. I was at an exhibit at the Dion Museum. They had an incredible exhibit. And um, I found this quote on one of the art pieces. And uh, at the time, my state of mind, I was just like, I was in the rut of my like homelessness experience and just like a lot of uncertainty. And just, I I told you earlier how I ebb and flow between my identities. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. like my gayness is forward and my blackness is pulling back. And sometimes my blackness is forward. And at that time I was feeling, oh, I'm in this rut. I feel very unfaithful right now. I don't have any hope. And I went to this exhibit to try to have the ancestors talk to me or something, like something to pull me up because I felt like Mm. I was being a failure, especially as a Black man who made this decision, Mm. a Black gay man who made this decision to be this artist. And I felt like I was failing. And I came across this quote and I was like, "Mm -mm, there are too many people who were in my position who died, who since died so that I could live the life that I... I want to live so that I can pass it on to others. And so that quote told me to keep going, you know, like I I have this in me. I I put it on my website because um, at the end of the day, like, yeah, I want to get paid. Yeah. Getting paid for art is important, but, um, Mm -hmm. and I do my art to also process what I'm going through, but I also want to leave a legacy. I want to pass this on. Um, That's why I, I want to join the movement of creating stories that are untold uh, in a culture where I think a lot of Black people worry sometimes of their things getting taken away from them. That's mm. why that last line of that quote is really, is it the last line? Um, really important in terms of like, y- y- you can't be duplicated. Our experiences are so unique, no one can take it away. And so, so that was a really roundabout yeah. way to answer your question, but um, no, I'm I glad that resonated great. with you. And you, you talked about it so beautifully. You oh. speak very beautifully about everything. I do want to let you know that. <laughs> I really enjoyed this this session. Yeah. I'm so thankful that we got to speak to you, Paul. Like on the record. Um, we've been talking for like the past year, but it's yeah. nice to this will be like out there forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. forever. <laughs> I'm I, I feel really honored that I, I know you two now. Paul, where can all your new fans that are listening to the podcast find you? On social media so i am on facebook twitter instagram um, but i really only use instagram as uh that's where you can find more consistent information about me and what i'm working mm-hmm. on of course my website has all those links as well slide into my dms 
I forgot to say what my Instagram handle was. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure you'll put it in the like episode description or whatever. But yeah. uh, my drag name, Janae Arabesque, J-U-H-N-A-Y, and Arabesque, as in the dance term. There we go. Yes. You are so fierce. <laughs> yeah, you are fierce. Well, awesome. thank you again. We really, I mean, I'm not speaking for Jason, but I know he enjoyed having you too, obviously. And make sure to everyone else listening, you follow us on social media also at Survival Jobs Pod on everything except Facebook, which is at Survival Jobs, a podcast. And like, subscribe, follow, tell your friends, listen a million times. And uh, <laughs> we're having fun. So we hope to keep doing it for a while. And follow Paul. Janae, uh, you have great content. So follow Janae <laughs> and make sure you guys tune in for our episode next week where we talk to Bly Boff, which I'm sorry if I don't say your name right, Bly, but we will handle that <laughs> next week. She's an actress, activist, and an absolute hysterical human being. So be sure to tune in, y'all. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Samantha. Bye, Paul. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.